1 Peter chapter 2. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to pick up at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, let me repeat that, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as, a bond, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. First Peter 3, verse 17 reads, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Those will be our passages. Lord, we ask your blessing. Help us, God, to understand from your vantage point what freedom is. And Lord, to contrast freedom in a nation that governs by laws, laws being restraints. Lord, how can man be restrained and yet be free? Lord, would you give us an insight into your heart in relation to this? Because you're the supreme lawgiver. You gave the Ten Commandments. And you say you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But how can commandments, how can laws, how can restraints bring freedom? Lord, show us now that we'd understand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've been inspired to do this message uh, from Wednesday night study through the book of 1 Timothy. And being in a unique position of a pastor and a council member, a pastor and a representative, a government representative, I find a unique insight that I never had before. Our First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. The First Amendment was written into our Constitution, our Constitution beginning with an understanding of who the government is. Very clearly in the first sentence, we the people. We the people in order to form a more perfect union. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves, our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Blessings of liberty, blessings of freedom to ourselves and to our children to come. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We're looking now, we're not leaving our children or our children's children anything of value as a nation. What is this concept of the blessings of liberty? when it is written into a constitution that outlines the laws that would govern that nation, laws being restraints. Our birth certificate that predated our constitution said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and then the pursuit of happiness or virtue, goodness, the pursuit of goodness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. 
So what is this liberty? What is this freedom? Land of the free, home of the brave. What is it that would cause a president of the United States to call every citizen to their knees in prayer before Almighty God? What is it that would cause our founding fathers to pen such words and declare to generations to come this commitment to secure the blessings of liberty and freedom? What did that greatest generation fight for? What was it that Reagan was speaking of with Private Zanata that would bring an entire audience to tears and he would conclude that we would remain free? How do do we know what we're fighting for if we have no idea of the definition of what freedom is? When the scriptures declare to us, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honoring all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're given this first amendment that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or the freedom of the press or freedom of speech or the freedom to peaceably assemble and to, 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 to petition the government for redress of grievances. Why would our, our, our founding fathers begin with the power is in the hands of we the people and then immediately after establishing this then put a restraint through a liberty. And the liberty is to the pulpit and to the press and to the people to hold their representatives accountable. A redress of grievances. The very first thing they did to establish and maintain this idea of blessings of liberty to us and our posterity is this idea of of maintaining an avenue of declaration of truth to hold our representatives accountable. They're not the government. We, the people. How do we hold them accountable? I had shared with a friend of mine. He's the editor of one of the newspapers. And I told him, I said, you might want to come out Wednesday night. I'm going to be talking on the First Amendment. And he wrote an article, and he had done a two-part article uh, on, on the expenditures of the city council and travel funds or travel fees. And I was listed in that, and the amount of money spent to send me to San Jose and to Sacramento for training was listed in there, and I, I don't like having my name in the paper and things like that. But I, I commended him. I said, you are applying the First Amendment and holding the representatives accountable, and we are on notice that if you overspend, we are going to let you know because we're going to vote you out of office. Now, I don't like being scrutinized, but I like what he did. But I said to him, you might want to come on Wednesday night because in addressing the First Amendment, I'm going to address the reason why they put it there. The reason why our founding fathers put the First Amendment there was that they wanted to protect us from our representatives, to protect the people from their representatives, to allow them to speak and to seek a redress of grievances, that they, they weren't going to be an oligarchy or, or a theocracy. They weren't going to be a group of folks that were going to, to be a ruling class that we would be the peons and the serfs and submit to them. They were given on loan authority from us, the people, and we will hold them accountable. And we're going to do that by the press and the pulpit and speech, as you saw with Matthew Glinky, and by the people to peaceably assemble and to organize ourselves to remove them when they abrogate the laws of God. 
when the law of God has been abrogated, we need to be able to speak up and express ourselves. Now, as a member of the legislature, the last thing a legislator wants is to be critiqued. I hate it. Every week, somebody's got an opinion in the letters to the editor. Somebody's got an idea. I vote one way, they're upset another way. And everyone has a way of letting you know. But that's what comes with that position. You're a representative of the people. They're going to let you know how they feel. The press will allow that to be written. The pulpits will speak. The problem is the pulpits are silent and the press is bought. And the people are silent. We declare freedom, but we have apathy. Why apathy? The First Amendment allows us to advocate to throw the rascals out. But we become apathetic towards the political cause because we've been manipulated and we're tired. A free press and a free pulpit can keep the people informed, but our pulpits are silent and our press is bought. Thus, we're subject to a ruling class that seems to do what's best for us because we don't know how to rule ourselves. And all we want is to be left alone. And as the pulpits are silent and the press is bought, the people no longer see a need to fight for freedom and liberty as Jim's generation did. Because we don't know what freedom is. When Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. What is this idea of being free not using our liberty as a cloak for vice, and that the will of God is to do good so that we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I think in our culture today, we have an enormous problem. We don't know what freedom is. We don't even know what the law is for. I was blessed by the response of the editor of the acorn when I had invited him to listen to the message though he couldn't attend and he wrote me these words now this is a man I don't know his religious background if I were to assume I'd think agnostic Jewish by by birth but again I could be wrong I've had some conversations but not in depth and what I do know I think that's somewhat accurate and he wrote these words to me Rob I finally heard your sermon from May 4th what a blessing That was wonderful. So wish I could have been there in person, although maybe that would have been awkward. You said it perfectly. Thanks for bringing that message to your congregation. And know that if anyone ever tries to take away your ability to speak freely from the pulpit, we would rush to your defense. We probably don't hold the same religious beliefs, but you know what's fascinating to me? As a man who doesn't hold my religious beliefs or attend this fellowship, has encouraged me more than most pulpits. I'm a Martian to most pulpits. They have no concept of why a pastor would be in politics or a politician would be in the pastorate. 
And yet, this has given me a view that I never saw before, and I pray it ministers to you today. I said earlier, I don't think we understand freedom and law. It's said at the graduation of Harvard University to the graduating law school students, they say the law is the wise restraints that make men free. It almost seems as a paradox, doesn't it? Restraints that make you free. Can restraints make someone free? The modern view of freedom is debased, but the modern view of freedom is the absence of restraint. It's my body. I'll do with it as I please. I will marry whoever I love. It's not a baby. It's a blob of tissue until I decide it's a human being. It's my body. It's my choice. To be truly free is to remove restraints is the modern mindset of freedom. Restraints bind my will. I must be free to do my will. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? Don't preach your morality to me. There's, there's no right or wrong. That may be true for you, but it's not true for me. This idea of restraints is, is an anathema. The, the libertarian position is uh, freedom is no restraints, as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. Is that true freedom, the absence of restraints? Are you allowed to yell in a theater fire when there isn't one? What is the true meaning of freedom? Now, we look at this, and this is not the biblical view of freedom. This is the modern view of freedom. Restraints bind my will. The only authority in my life is my will. And and my will has precedent over everything else. But the classical view of freedom, the freedom of the ancients, their definition was freedom and law fit together like a hand and glove. Freedom and restraint fit hand in hand. Freedom and restraint fit like a hand in a glove. Is the law really a restraint? The ancients would ask. Isn't the maximization of choice the essence of true freedom? The more choices I have, the more freedom I have, right? Hello? That's our mindset. And doesn't the law threaten my freedom to choose? Who are you to tell me what I'm to do. Even the pulpits are struggling today because the scriptures say one thing, but they won't stand with a legislation that stands in agreement with the scriptures because they don't want to come off as being pushy. Who are you to tell me what I can or can't do? So if the modern view is that Laws threaten my freedom to choose and thus restrain and take away my freedom, then obviously, obviously, the church has no authority, nor does the press. But what is the view that God puts forward? The classical view of the law didn't reduce law to simply restrictions. We see the law as simply restrictions. Classical view doesn't reduce it to simply restrictions, nor did the classical view reduce freedom to the abundance of choice. Freedom is not the abundance of choice, and law isn't necessarily simply restrictions. True freedom. Freedom is a path to excellence, not simply an independence of the human will. 
Today we've been led to believe that for choice to be free, the will must detach itself from restraint. A brick, Plato said, on a pile has many choices, right? Correct? But only when it is in a wall, holding a wall together, experiencing its full purpose, and having little or no freedom, is it truly experiencing the excellence of what it was designed to do. Some people struggle with this, And the idea that freedom is a path to excellence, not simply an independence of the human will. Look at this. Today, we've been led to believe that to be free, one must stand indifferent to the claims of truth. That my will is the sole arbiter between my intellect and my passions. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. We've been led to believe that true freedom is indifference or apathy. Indifference to nature's order indifference to natural and revealed truth. For example, gravity, natural law. I am indifferent. There's, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And I don't see why I have to be bound by your stupid law. Well, this is a natural law. I don't, I don't believe in natural laws, nor do I believe in a creator, nor do I believe in a designer, and I don't believe that everything is subject to natural law. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Can you prove it to be true? Yes. All of us are going to run off a cliff together. There's millions of us, and we have been chanting a mantra. You won't die, you'll fly. You won't die, you'll fly. <laughs> and we all run off that cliff together. lemmings of stupidity you say I I don't believe in creation even in a world of design and order you come along you see a watch if I were to lay a watch with leather straps right here and Robert comes up and I say Robert he goes somebody left a watch I go no Robert Robert nobody left a watch I mean How constraining your thoughts. It's bigger than that, Robert. This watch has always been here. No, 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 no. no. Somebody made it, somebody bought it, and somebody left it. No. Robert, billions of years, billions of years, it just happened. It just happened. The glass, sand, heat, wind, beveled, circular, Glossy, the intricacies of the mechanisms on the inside (laughs) happened in in time, but it it happened. There's no designer, no creator. And the leather straps, a cow, lightning, perfect strips. (laughs) And and then a bird came and poked dots in each of the... No, that, that watch screams of a designer. Oh, there's no designer and I'm not subject to a creator. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We are subject to a governing authority designed by God. And yet we say, I want to have the freedom to arbitrate between my passions and my senses. And no one is to tell me what I can or can't do. True freedom is having choices. And who are you to restrain me? 
And thus, the culture in the absence of God becomes indifferent. It's, there's no truth. There's no revealed truth. There's no natural law. There's, it's, hey, if it's good for you, it's good for me, and let's just all get along. It doesn't work. Watch. Indifferent to the sense and passion is this true freedom. To the ancients, they saw freedom as the fruit of excellence. Watch. Freedom to them was not choice, but the excellence that comes from choosing good. A person becomes increasingly more free as he or she pursues good choices. 1 Peter chapter 2. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. People that think that freedom is just having all kinds of choices become ignorant and lazy and stupid. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yes, um, I don't, I don't want to do my homework. I like playing Xbox. Who are you to tell me? Well, the scripture says, children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. I don't believe in the Bible. Well, then you can pay the rent or the mortgage. And those that hold that they want freedom and choices have no concept of excellence and don't work it unto an end of pursuing anything of value. And thus, they're dependent. And that's why we're watching generation after generation. We're not creating wealth anymore. We're just living off wealth that others created. We're running out. We're $19 trillion in debt, $1.5 trillion in debt in California. We're the, we're the first generation that's not going to leave better for our kids than what we received. Freedom to them was not choice, but the excellence that comes from choosing good. This is a decision the body of Christ makes every day. You do what is right. And a person becomes increasingly more free as he or she pursues good choices. Let me show you why. You're not indifferent to good, but you have a pursuit of good. For example, how do you bat... 300 in Major League Baseball, have a 300 batting average in Major League Baseball. How do you pass for 5,000 yards in the NFL? How do you do a triple sal cow in Olympic figure skating? How do, you, how do you win on the voice? Practice, 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 because you're not aloof to good, but you're in pursuit of it. I want to pursue this to the case of excellence. Thus, someone like Peyton Manning, watch this, you rise from being a simple person who chooses to being a person who achieves. This sets you free from ignorance and weakness. This sets you free to achieve excellence. Those of you who just want to be free to play your Xbox, you're ignorant, weak, and stupid. You don't get good grades. You don't work hard. You don't listen to your parents, and you're going nowhere. And you're going to be a leech on the system. And if we don't build societies to tell you, listen, you need to go to school. You got to graduate. You have to get passing grades. We're working as a culture, pushing people to good so they can achieve excellence. I just want to be a slug, and you owe me something. I don't want to work then society implodes. God has created man to work. God has created us to pursue excellence. It says that he has created us as his workmanship, his poema. And he has has ordained, preordained these good works that we would walk in them. Every one of you has a calling. That's why I bring up guys like Matthew Glinking, gals like Abigail Carter. They are pursuing excellence. I want them to go far. Their arrows we're shooting into a future we'll never see. I want the young people to be inspired. I want our kids to be Eagle Scouts. I want us to be straight-A students. 
I want our families to pursue excellence by doing good. This is God's will for us. Freedom is, is available to them, not in the sense of unlimited choices, but freedom to achieve excellence and to excel. Peyton Manning is more free than I am to enjoy the excellence of football because he has pursued excellence in the sport. If I were in the Super Bowl and I was taking Peyton Manning's place, I'd be a pile of broken bones under a pile of linemen. And the reason why he's been able to pursue an excellent level and to experience things that none of us have achieved is because, watch this, he spends more time on the football field than he does in the mall or in front of the Xbox. Applied to the moral life, at the beginning of our moral maturity, we lack excellence, but at the end of our life, we enjoy moral excellence. For example, by pursuing good, the will is strengthened by minor victories unto maturity. Doing good, you're going to be tested. People are going to push you. And you're going to be persecuted for doing what's right because people don't like to be challenged. A coach pushes people to do things they don't want to do so they become the people they always wanted to be. So you think you should be on The Voice. Well, guess what? Get up earlier and sing more and practice. Go do something. It is true that to possess excellence, we must minimize choices. Again, Peyton Manning must spend more time on the football field than he does in the mall or in front of an Xbox. So listen, to obtain the freedom of excellence comes with restraint. You see? That's the biblical concept. Oops. To grow in justice, so if we are moral creatures, which we are, and we honor God, and we start to do good, to grow in justice means that cheating on our taxes is no longer a choice to us. It's a restraint now. We do good. Law is only a restraint if there is an indifference to excellence. I don't care, man. Somebody's going to take care of me. I'll get a paycheck. I'll just, you know, I, 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 have, I, have, a, I have a disease. I do too much drugs. And someone, you know, and so we just debase into the point where socialism only works until you run out of the other person's money. And we're owed something. Listen, freedom is found in bearing responsibility to choose and to do good and restrain from evil. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not as using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We cannot be free if we do not choose to do good. And what is the true definition of freedom? Freedom is doing good in order to obtain excellence. What then is the law? It's not a restraint of the will, but a guide for the intellect to strive for good in order to obtain excellence. The law is a restraint that the good itself imposes in order for people to be free and to pursue excellence. That's why we legislate the way we do. And when you get a marriage amendment that comes or you, you get a right to life amendment that comes and, and you have to look at these things, what does the scripture say? Now, granted, people aren't going to like you. I'm familiar with that. And, and all of you want me to do what you want. You want your will exercised on me. My responsibility is before the Lord to do what he's called me to do according to his word. For as it says in 1 Peter 3, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Trust me, I want to do the right thing. And it's not popular. It's not popular. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew and then also of the Greek. 
But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. These rules work for all mankind. You do good, you flourish. You don't do good, you don't flourish. And the law is restraint by choice in order to pursue excellence. Excellence is pursued by doing good, refraining from evil, and thus to pursue excellence. What is excellence? You fit in the wall where God intended you to be and and experiencing the full manifestation of what he designed you to do and to be. He says in Ephesians 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. God says, just work as unto the Lord. He says in 1 Peter 4, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. As to a faithful creator. Paul said to Timothy in the final portions of 1 Timothy 6, in the letter he wrote to him, he says, Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Do what's right, Timothy. Do what's right. The servant of God must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, when we don't have good restraints, meaning restraints towards evil to allow us to pursue good, our neighbors are ensnared. They're left to the women. If they don't understand the will and accountability to God and in and responsibility before the Lord, they're in trouble. And if, how will they know if we don't tell them? And our founding fathers understood that the pulpits were to be the place to declare that, and so was the press and the people and the right to peaceably assemble for the redress of grievances to the government. I close with one last thought. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. I have to tell you, it gets really, really tiring. You get encouraged from people who don't go to church and from the church. You get weird looks. And I'm comforted by Paul's words to the church at Thessalonica. He says, but if but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as the enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And I got to tell you, let me just close that. It says, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I've often said, I don't know what's worse, the voice of my enemies or the silence of my friends. I remember this letter when we were standing for life and we were doing these American renewal projects and one pastor who despises a political process wrote, 
The application of such rationalizations to abortion means that the killing will never end. Our political manipulators are geniuses at only one thing. That is figuring out each voting bloc's bottom line. As long as they know we do not trust our God enough to obey him and that we will continue to allow ourselves to settle for false promises and empty platitudes, that is all we will ever get. They will never give us anything more than the bottom line, meaning don't even bother in politics. You would think that 40 years of failure would have taught the church that, that we just simply, if we're going to succeed, we need to stay out of politics. And I love the response from my friend, Bob McEwen. He said, Christian politicians have steadfastly fought the battle for life. Condemnation from a pastor who prides himself on having never voted since Reagan in a city where, and this is Houston, where his lesbian mayor was elected with the support of only 8% of the registered voters should work on the beam in his own eye, meaning that that, that mayor tried to stop the pulpits from, from speaking the scriptures and, and subpoenaed for all the sermons. He said, in a city where the lesbian mayor was elected with the support of only 8% of the registered voters should work on the beam in his own eye, he could start by just showing up at the, pol- at the polls. Godly candidates know that evildoers will hound them on the stump while the useless self-righteous won't even lift a finger to push the voting lever. And I share this because I was so burdened. I leave this week, Wednesday of this coming week, to go to North Carolina. My friend uh, is, is the lieutenant governor there. And that state's under all kinds of struggles. And I know there's folks in this church that, that disagree with my position on that. But listen, I take the position because the scriptures do. And it's not easy. I would really like to skip passages of Scripture. It would make it so much easier in the political world. But why are they there? And do we really believe in a God who's good? And do we pursue good for the purpose of excellence? And so my friend, the lieutenant governor, is, is in a fight for his political life. And, and there's a marriage amendment going on in Minnesota and across the country and other things. And, and I was taken aback by what happened in Minnesota. It says two key conservative evangelical leaders in Minnesota are not endorsing the marriage amendment or direct, directing followers to vote for it, marking the first time during debate over the measure that a major faith leaders have not encouraged members to take a stand on the issue. John Piper is one of them, and he said, don't press the organization of the church or her pastors into political activism, Piper said during his sermon. He said, uh, expect from the shepherds not that they would rally you behind political candidates or legislative mandates, but they would point you over and over again to God and to his word. And I like that, but I don't like the beginning. He says, basically, our position is we're not taking one as a church. Are you for it or against it? No. And by addressing this in June rather than October, early November, there's no effort here for political expediency trying to get certain votes out of our people. Piper wants to avoid the political realm as much as possible. The Christian gospel, he says, is not left, it's not right. It is what it is. Now, I agree with the idea that we don't want to be owned by any party, but we can speak into those parties, can't we? And don't we want to do good that we would pursue excellence? And can't we do that in the civic arena? And then he closes. He said, or one person says, I guess what concerns me about Pastor Piper is that while the other sides of the aisle, boy, they've got people coming out of the woodwork to oppose this. And if, 
evangelical leaders aren't even going to weigh in and say something very insistent that people understand the issue and then make their voice count, then I don't know who will. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not as using your liberty as a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. Listen, we're going to come into conflict with people who want their will. And what was the first sin in the Garden of Eden? I will be like the Most High. What was Jesus' comment in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but thy will be done. We come to do the will of God. It isn't easy and it isn't pleasant at times. But they'll know the truth. And the truth will set them free. Freedom is restraints in order to do good to obtain excellence. Otherwise, last one out, turn off the lights because it's anarchy. I close with this. Uh, A week from tomorrow, I extend the invitation to all of you because you've been gracious enough to let me travel the country to participate in these events. We're doing one in Riverside, California, May 23rd and 24th. I'd ask that you, if you're single, you go with a friend. If you're married, you go together. We have a benefactor who is paid for your hotel room and all your meals at this event. It's Monday and Tuesday. The event starts Monday night, so you can still do a full day of work, but get to Riverside. I'm one of the first speakers, so get there on time. (laughs) And then you'll be finished by noon on Tuesday, and you can get back for the remainder of the work you have. And I'll be speaking at it. And they extended the invitation because this church is so committed and so faithful. I mean, that's an enormous expenditure and blessing. And actually, if you register early, you can go to the Mission Inn, the, the uh, historical landmark in Riverside. It's a beautiful hotel. So at the end of the service, Joe Solano will be out there. Joe back there? Joe will take your sign-ups. And uh, we're limited. I mean, I was given a number, and I don't, we didn't exceed at first service. They weren't greedy. They left you some spots. But sign up. Just head back and talk to Joe. And I wanted to say thank you to all of you to allow me to pursue these things. And my heart is that God would be glorified in and through our lives. And that we would experience this gift of a representative form of government to its fullest. Let's do good that we may obtain excellence. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us and the way in which you gently instruct us. And Lord, I have no ill will towards John Piper. He's my brother. And, and I, I see that he doesn't see it the way I do. I know he loves you, as do the other pastors. And Lord, it'll take time just to have everyone understand. It, it takes us all that time to see these things. But God, thank you for the testimony of generations gone by and watching these World War II vets show us what true freedom and liberty is all about and what's worth fighting for. And so God, reinstill in us that understanding and that heart that we would do good, that excellence might prevail in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.